1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at chabacasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
0: Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. Happy New Year. Here we are. It's 2023, 2023, whichever you prefer. People saying, well, well, I don't use that calendar. Well, face facts, it's 2023. And, uh, well, who'd have thought we'd make it this far? Uh, is, if you go back to your childhood, and everyone listening, of course, of a different age, but uh, to me, certainly, of my vintage, the idea that there would be a 2023 would seem extraordinary. But here we are, we're underway, and uh, later on in the podcast, I will be looking at the matches in the first round of the Masters. That's the first big event, of course, launching the year. Starts on Sunday. Um, already looking forward to that. It's a fantastic event, and... Uh, we're going through the matches, but on that theme, and we'll get to the other emails shortly. Oh, first of all, by the way, I should say thank you to everyone who made it through to the end of the Christmas special that uh, I did with uh, Nick Metcalf and Phil Haig from Talking Snooker. Very enjoyable to be with them again. We didn't mean it to be that long. It was about as long as last year. We, we sort of vowed to, to to not make it as long, but, you know, we just started yakking. And uh, to be fair, <laughs> we only really skimmed the surface. There was a few, few things afterwards I, I, I thought I meant to raise, and I forgot. So, you know, maybe next year we'll do eight hours, but um, anyway, it was very enjoyable. Thank you for for anyone who who managed to make it to the end. Um, But uh, as I say, the Masters is coming up, and we've had, uh, had an email from the great Matt Tresco, our dear friend, who you may recall put together the Masters Almanac, very much in the style of Chris Downer's Crucible Almanac. Well, he's updated it. So he said, since last year's edition, there have been some new written sections on the history of the Masters after B&H left in 2003, a longer piece on the history of 147s with a focus on the Masters, and a history on the choices of wildcards and sponsors' choices. Other smaller sections include world rankings of the tournament winners, a history of the trophies, and other tidbits which will delight and horrify in equal measure. Well, I can tell you they delighted me, Matt, and uh, it's free to download. So the the address is uh, mastersalmanac.blogspot.com. That's mastersalmanac, mastersalmanac.blogspot.com. I'll put a link on Twitter to it. Uh, it's a formidable piece of work, 178 pages, um, and all the stats you could imagine uh, being there. I'll just read one section here. It's called Blackballed. Okay, this will give you a flavour of what's in this almanac. It says in the 2009 final. Between Mark Selby and Ronnie O'Sullivan, Selby lost four frames on the black. In the 2021 final between John Higgins and Yambing Tao, Higgins also lost four frames on the black. In the 2001 quarterfinal between Dave Harold and John Parrott, Harold recovered from 1 5 down to win 6 5, taking two frames on the black, one on the pink, and the deciding frame on a re spotted black. So there is a little flavour <laughs> of what you can expect. Very comprehensive. There's another little sections as well. There's uh, one, one entitled Old Man Folds. Okay, so this is a quote. 30? that Zimmer frame age for snooker. The standard is incredible these days. Something dramatic has got to occur if I'm to get back here next year. These were Neil Foles' comments after reaching his last semi-final in 1994. Stephen Hendry, of course, was dominating and a wave of younger stars like O'Sullivan, McManus, Ebden and Doherty were breaking through. Although perhaps Neil didn't expect the longevity of the next generation. Uh, of course, yeah, I mean, we've now got the, some of the favourites for the title are in their 40s, aren't they? Like, both suppose, Sullivan and Neil Robertson, Sean Murphy, Higgins, Williams, etc., etc. Special players. But anyway, there's a, there's a lot in this almanac. and uh, Lots of things probably I haven't even spotted yet. But one thing that did leap out on me, nothing to do with the Masters, actually. It was about... Here's the thing about the Masters, OK. In the 80s, it was... And I'll talk more about it later, but in the 80s... It sort of stood apart from the other tournaments. It was not run by the WPBSA. It was an independently promoted event. It was obviously just for the top 16. So it was always known as the game's leading invitation event. And it's important to say leading invitation event because in those days there were far more. You had the Irish Masters, the Scottish Masters, various other tournaments as well. This one was kind of top of that list. But it wasn't sort of comparable to ranking events because ranking events were the whole tour. And, of course, they were new in the 80s. And because they were new... They were very much prized. It was a new thing, the world ranking list. And here's the thing that jumped out at me, okay? So the UK Championship, I think most people know, began 1977, was not a ranking event until 1984. And, but this is something I, I didn't know and that matters unearthed, presumably from snooker scene at the time. The reason it became a ranking event was because Barry Hearn, who managed Steve Davis at the time, threatened to withdraw Davis from the tournament if it didn't. So obviously Steve was starting to win these tournaments and Barry... I guess I probably thought, well, I, I've got the world champion, but I also want, want him to be very much the world number one. And how do you become world number one? You win ranking tournaments. So he threatened to pull Steve Davis out if they didn't make the UK Championship a ranking event, which said a lot about the power of both Hearn and Davis in those days, on and off the table. And, uh, of course, these days he has the power <laughs> to do pretty much what he likes. He can make the Masters a ranking event if he wants. I don't know that'll happen. But anyway, that was a little nugget, all puns intended, that uh, that jumped out on me from Max Excellence. Uh, Masters Almanac, all sorts of things in here. We may come back to it later on, um, just to p- pick out a few other things. But, uh, yeah, a, a, just a terrific effort. So I, I congratulate Matt for that. And do check it out. As I say, I'll put the link up. I'll put the link in the what we might loosely call the show notes um, on, on this podcast and also on Twitter. And you can... Uh, I know stats aren't everybody's cup of tea, but frankly, uh, they're mine. And uh, if you want to know anything at all about uh, the, the history of the Masters, it's all in... This uh, wonderful tome, which of course can only, I guess as the years go on, can only uh, be added to, who knows, uh, 20 years from now, <laughs> how long it will be. Now we'll get on with the the other emails. We've had some come on over the festive period. Alan in the Peak District. He writes, uh, I started listening to your podcast over the summer and now never miss an episode. Until now, though, I've never taken the effort to write in. I'm assuming you may be light on material over the Christmas break, so we would appreciate an email. Listen, Alan, we're light on material all year, don't worry about that. There was one week when I, I, I got so few emails I was going to read out some spam. <laughs> one from someone in Nigeria offering me £27 million. I was going to read that out. Anyway, we continue. I listened to the discussion on a previous podcast of Mark King posing naked for a calendar on my way to do some Christmas shopping. Yeah, now, I should, I should make this clear. Someone emailed in saying that uh, we were talking about irrational reasons to dislike snooker players and someone said that Mark King and Stuart Bingham had, had appeared in various types of undress uh, in, a, in an appropriate way. One was in a newspaper and one was, I think, advertising uh, underwear. Um, but uh, the, the woman uh, who'd seen this said she couldn't unsee it. Anyway, Alan continues. Intrigued, I visited a well-known pop-up calendar shop. And yes, there are naked sporting calendars across a range of sports, but not snooker. got me thinking, is this an opportunity to promote the sport that WST are missing? I know my gran loved a snooker as much for a young Tony Knowles and Jimmy White as the snooker itself. So it got me thinking, could such a naked snooker calendar really happen and would anyone buy it? So we're starting <laughs> the new year in a very highbrow way here by discussing naked snooker players. Uh, he said, well, I did a bit of research, after all you did ask. Firstly, you have to rule out those players that clearly wouldn't be up for it, Ronnie O'Sullivan, etc. You also need to rule out those who, to put it mildly, the public wouldn't appreciate seeing wearing fewer clothes. Without naming names, that reduces options quite a bit. Well, in fact, Alan, you sort of do name names by leaving them out of this list you're about to provide, <laughs> because if you're in this list, then I think you, you fall into that list. Anyway, Alan continues. From my analysis, I didn't say what this analysis is exactly, but anyway, he says, from my analysis, from the top 32, you could feasibly include in the calendar, okay, now these are the names he's putting forward, Mark Selby, Judd Trump, Zing Tong, Jack Lisowski, David Gilbert, Tom Ford and Jamie Jones. Outside the top 32, possibilities would be Oliver Lyons, Alexander Ersenbacher, Michael Holt and Lucas Clickers. That gets up to 11. One more month needed, perhaps Mark Williams would be up to getting naked again. hope that was a useful contribution to the otherwise excellent podcast. Well, Alan, I think thank you for that. In the, whatever research you undertook, I think from from that we can conclude that uh, we don't want a, a naked snooker calendar. <laughs> but thank you anyway. Now, Richard Radcliffe, he says, I've been enjoying the Championship League on YouTube Matchroom Multi Room. I quite like the quiet atmosphere here, with just the clack of balls, the players' sighs at bad shots, and the referee's quiet statements of scores, fouls, misses, etc. No crowds, little external noise, no commentary. Snooker, it's most laid back, stripped back format. Nothing like most snooker clubs, I hasten to add, where there's plenty going on. Just to clarify, as I know I'm in thin ice here, I assure you I do like snooker commentary, with yourself and Neil Foles particularly insightful. EuroSport coverage is my preferred provider. Last point though, and please pass this on to the relevant authorities, the sound from the arena continues between frames, and you can often hear the referees talking with the table cleaners or the players chatting after the match. This talk is often banal, but quite enjoyable banter, and yet, I've heard no derogatory comments or ba- as yet, I've heard no derogatory comments or bad words in these gaps between frames, but I hope players, officials and table cleaners are aware of the microphones constantly being on. I would hate for someone to get in trouble, oblivious to the fact that thousands, hundreds of thousands I don't know the stats are listening in. Equally, I would not want to lose the natural sound of snooker. It's a feature of the Snooker Internet multi-table setup now with majority of matches being shown in this way. We're truly sport, sport with our choices and the sheer volume of snooker we can watch. Well, thank you, Richard. Yes, they are aware, I'm sure, of that. Um, and I don't think you'll hear anything untoward. Uh, yes, the, the, the Championship League, of course, this is on this week. And it's a big week. We've got some big players. Judd uh, Jud Trump, John Higgins, Karen Wilson, Mark Selby, um, amongst others, who are going to be coming in. So, obviously, looking for a sharpener ahead of the Masters. Um, and uh, it's, it's no longer available on free sports in the UK because free sports doesn't exist now. It's been taken over by Viaplay, who at the moment don't seem to be showing it, but you can watch Table 1 with commentary, I'm using to add, on uh, if you live in the UK, on the Championship League Facebook page. You don't have to be signed up to Facebook to watch it. And Table 2 is live on YouTube, and it's on Matchroom Live as well. So there are various ways you can watch it and see who is kind of in form, who's looking good ahead of the Masters. Will it make any difference, actually? One thing I'll say about all that, Stuart Bingham won Group 2 just before Christmas. And if you ever wanted to sort of explain why Stuart Bingham has become such a successful player, that week would tell you. Because he came in off the back of a bad run. He'd lost his first round match in the Scottish Open, the German Masters Qualifiers, the English Open. So he was really kind of out of form and a bit down about things. Group one, he scraped through in fifth place to get back, to get into group two. Made a really bad start to group two. He lost a couple of matches. And was feeling down. You know, Stuart loves snooker. And, you know, he, he's struggling a bit. Was actually very down. And he actually said, I don't think he mind me saying, he actually said, you know, I kind of went to my hotel room and sort of lay on the bed and was really down. And I thought, you've got a choice. You either sulk about it and, you know, lose your remaining matches, go home for Christmas and sulk over Christmas, or you actually try and pull yourself together and do something about it. And that's what he did. He used the positivity, the natural positivity he has, he did put himself together and he ended up winning the group um, and no doubt had a, had a very enjoyable Christmas off the back of it because he knows he's got the winners group to look forward to uh, he maybe would have liked to actually have played this week ahead of the Masters but the point is he, he found something when he had to and that's what the great players do the great champions of the sport so I just wanted to mention Stuart because uh, he, he showed great attitude there the thing about the Championship League the days can be long particularly if, you, if you're if you coming into a group after the first group you've been in it's four days and you do see players crack up a little bit. They kind of get fed up a little bit of it and, you know, it's going on a bit too long. But he wasn't like that. He was the opposite. He actually turned it round and uh, I have to say uh, congratulations to him for that. Uh, now then, John Hill. He says, I'm a very recent convert to your podcast, I'm wading my way through the back catalogue. My particular highlight so far is Alan McManus' impression of Alan Hughes. This was a few weeks ago on the Snooker uh, Bingo. With the recent announcement of the lifting of quarantine restrictions for visitors to China, do you think there's a chance of any events being hosted there in this calendar year? Secondly, does Phil Yates have any plans to write a snooker-related book? I thoroughly enjoyed Clive's book about the rise, fall and rise of snooker history, snooker's history, and I feel Phil could continue the story into the Barry Hearn era as that has settled somewhat. Uh, Well, on that score, I don't think so. No, I think Phil did start writing a kind of autobiography as such during the lockdown, but I'm not quite sure what became of it. but on the on the China question, yes, I mean things are looking up. Certainly, um, they are starting to open up. I think there's going to be more uh, sort of uh, decisions taken in March, I believe. Phil Hager's done an interview with Jason Ferguson, the WPBHM on the Metro Online, which is worth checking out. Jason is cautiously optimistic, which I think is all you really can be. Um, I think it's important to be optimistic. I think it's also important to be cautious and not. Um, raise hopes too much but they World snooker are looking at getting events back on there in the summer which obviously would be good news um now the one other sort of factor that is nothing to do with covid is this business of the chinese players have been suspended um and if if sanctions are handed down if punishments are handed down will that affect actually the way snooker is seen in china we don't know what we do know is that Things are progressing pretty quickly and I was told end of February we might get some sort of resolution. We'll see. When lawyers get involved, it takes longer. But I would hope it's sorted out before the World Championship because obviously players have only been suspended. They're not being found guilty of anything and there may be people who have done nothing wrong who you know, should be playing in these tournaments. So I think it's in everyone's interest that this is sorted out quickly. Jason did talk about that as well. And he's of the same view that you know these things need to be need to be addressed quickly, um, but obviously also thoroughly. So, in terms of going back to China, do I think we'll be back this year? I hope so. I think it's it's more likely than not, actually. But that percentage, you know, will vary. I suppose you know the likelihood against the likelihood of not going will will vary as the year goes on. At the moment, it's looking pretty good, but things can change. Um, My point I made at the on the Christmas special with Nick and Phil is that there has to be some. Plan B, there has to be a contingency if we don't go back there. We can't just sort of stumble through, you know, indefinitely saying, well, let's hope we get back to China in a few months because the game, it needs tournaments, the players need to play for the good of the sport, the profile of the sport, it needs to be seen more. So hopefully, um, you know, we will, uh, we'll be back there, but we'll see. We, we, we don't know for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, hopefully we, we, that we will return. So to the Masters, um, as I've already said, you know it's it's a huge event. Um, Cliff Thorburn called it the big daddy behind the World Championship. Now he won it three times, so that might have affected his view of the status of the event. This is nineteen eighties. I'm not quite sure it was at that time. I think the UK Championship at that point was the second biggest, and some people still will say that it is. Jimmy White, I know, always thinks the UK Championship is is number two, but I think in terms of a spectacle, in terms of a showcase for snooker, I definitely think that the, the Masters. You know, the World Championship is always going to be number one, of course, but I think the Masters is, in my opinion now, the the second biggest event. I think it's a perfect way to launch the new year. I think if you were going to invent a tournament to be a showcase for snooker, this is what you would do. You'd have the best 16 players in the world off the rankings, playing on one table in the capital city of uh, the United Kingdom, um, in a truly is an iconic venue, the Ali pally you know, just the look of it, uh, the history of it. It's where the first television broadcast was, was made in, in Britain. Um, and obviously, you know, it's it's the focus is on elitism. The cr- it's basically sold out the whole time, over 2,000 seats every session. Um, in terms of television in the UK, the BBC obviously is, is a massive uh, profile. It's also on Eurosport around the world and other broadcasters. So it's it's just a great tournament. And Will Snooker Tour have thrown everything at it. I thought last year they did a superb job with the venue and the look of it. Obviously, they've got the corporate hospitality as well, which is another sort of thing we don't normally have at other tournaments. So, it you know, it, last year's tournament, saying last year, I'm going to get used to that now, was fantastic. It didn't get the, the sort of final we were hoping for in terms of closeness, but those two semi-finals were brilliant and, and the Robertson-Williams match, uh, a lot of people felt was the best match of the whole year. So, um, looking forward to it. And uh, it's definitely... You know, one. everyone wants to win. <clears throat> Great memories as well. That's what you get in a tournament with the history. You get the memories. It was First held 1975. The first final went to a respotted finish. John Spencer and uh, Ray R- beat Ray Reardon. Uh, you had obviously, you know, people like Perry Mans turning them winning it. Davis eventually won it three times. He. Uh, this is in the Masters almanac. guess you said, in the 80s, he didn't target it like he did the ranking events. That ties in again to what we're saying about the UK. Championship Barry Hearn insisting it became a ranking event, otherwise Steve Davis wouldn't play in it. So that tells told, told you something about you know their sort of priorities at the time. But it established itself, as I say, as as, as a leading invitation event, and then when those other ranking events fell away that were big in the eighties, it became very much one of the crown jewels. And the player I, I always associate it with actually is Paul Hunter, because he really came into his own in this event, won it three times in four years. All in deciders, all from unlikely positions. 6-2 down to Fergal O'Brien, 5-0 down to Mark Williams, 7-2 down to Ronnie Sullivan. Um, and those wins from him obviously made him a star, but also kept Snooker very much uh, in the public mind at a time when the sport wasn't being particularly well run and was struggling with the money and for other tournaments. Players such as himself and Ronnie and others were, you know, really keeping it in the headlines. Uh, Ronnie is the, Ronnie O'Sullivan is the record holder, seven wins. Stephen Hendry, six wins. Stephen Hendry won it five years running. <laughs> and and indeed, those were his first five years he was in it. So it was Alan McManus who finally beat him in the final in 94 in a, in a decider, 9-8. But prior to that, he'd won it five years in a row. And because of that, they gave him the trophy to keep. They thought, you know, you, 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 no one deserved this more than you. Had to get a new trophy because Stephen Hendry kept the old one. Um, and of course, it's now 25 years since uh, Mark Williams beat Hendry in a respot final 10-9, 1998, 25 years, quarter of a century ago, incredible. You think of that, the way I look at that is 25 years prior to that was 1973, <laughs> which was, uh, the tournament didn't exist then. And 1973, by the way, stole this away for April, 1973, uh, the first year that the World Championship was broadcast. On the BBC. It was very much highlights in Grandstand, but that was the first year they broadcast it. Anyway, uh, we move on uh, to this. Yes, uh, the Masters. Yes, I'm uh, remind myself what, it, what we're talking about. Steve Davis uh, won in a whitewash in 1988, 9 0. Nine, um, and in more recent years, we've had not that many close fighters. Mark Selby, of course, got in broad in a few, but we haven't had a decider since 2010. So 13 years tells me we you a couple more. But we've had uh, so many memories, and we're going to have some more this year created by the 16 players, in it? Now, of course, Bing Tao's been suspended. Dave Gilbert was 17th at the cut-off point after the UK Championship, so he's been called up. If that doesn't cheer Dave up, nothing will, because he's also got in the World Grand Prix because Lu Ning suspended. So he's got in two tournaments that he hadn't qualified for. Dave Gilbert, who uh, r- very rashly conceded in a qualified didn't he? German Masters qualifier to Andy Hicks, 3-2 down, conceded, best of nine. Uh, not in a good place. Hopefully, this will cheer him up. Not least because he's played well in the Masters before. He's been in, he's played in it twice. He's got to two semi-finals. We'll come to his match shortly. But we start on Sunday with an absolute blockbuster. I'm going to go down the match's draw order. Okay, so but we start with the defending champion Neil Robertson playing Sean Murphy. Now this is, I mean, this, not only could this be the final. It has been the, <laughs> the final, um, and obviously Robertson, defending champion, played so well last year. It's interesting. I I think if the world championship was played at Alexandra Palace Neil Robertson by now probably would have won it 3 or 4 times. Uh, the Crucible seems to be, you know, a place he has an issue with and he's got to sort that out if he's going to win the world championship again. But this venue, this sort of stage suits his persona brilliantly because it, it really is an opportunity for him to um just show how good he is. You know, he's got all the room in the world there. He's got all the self-belief in the world. And he's exhibited that so many times But he's got a tough opener Sean Murphy, as I say, it could be a final It has been twice Uh, They played in the final in 2012 When Robertson won 10-6 And then 2015, Murphy won 10-2 I don't think... The shock wasn't that he won Because he can beat anybody But 10-2 was not a scoreline anybody saw coming Um, So this... Is another meeting between them Now I am going to make some rash predictions Um, I'm not asking anybody to put bets on Because you'll probably go skin. But I'm going to make some predictions And a prediction I'm going to make about this match I think it will be a great match (laughs) Not sticking my neck out exactly there But I think it will be close And I think Murphy can win that match He won't be the favourite um, But there's just signs that Sean Murphy Just started to come back into a little bit of form He's played well the UK Championship for example he played well I thought he played quite well in a couple of the home nations and you know those short matches didn't quite get the results he was looking for but and it's not because Robertson's defending champion I just get the feeling that Sean Murphy can turn him over there and uh, that could be the start of maybe a successful second half of the season for Murphy which he needs because at the moment on the end of season rankings he's projected to lose his top 16 place because of course those world final points are coming off from two years ago so um yeah, I get the feeling that uh, he could win that. So, that's uh, one for the Murphy column. The winner will play the Karen Wilson or Stuart Bingham. They played last year in a fantastic match. It really was. It probably wouldn't have leapt out before the tournament as uh, the sort of match of the, the round. But it, it probably was actually the best match of the first round last year. Karen won uh, 6-5. Um, and, uh, you know, he's always tough to beat, of course. He, he's looking to land one of the real majors. Of course, Bingham did land the Masters three years ago. That was the last one before... Uh, the lockdown, the first one with all the sort of corporate seats and everything, he beat Alicard to ten eight, played superbly. Um, he did beat Wilson in the uh, in the world championship last year thirteen nine. Bingham's form, as I say, hasn't been good in general, but that championship league and just as I say, not not the fact that he won the group, the way he turned it round, that may actually spark something in him, and he's sort of due a good run in the tournament. I think he's a player who. Does go quiet now and again, but, but can equally come good now and again. So I think Wilson will be favourite, but once again, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna go by convention. I'm gonna tip Stuart Bingham there. I think again, potentially close, but I'm just, uh, just gonna give Stuart Bingham, uh, the nod there. So, uh, Murphy v Bingham it is in the quarterfinals. Mark Allen, Barry Hawkins is, uh, the next match. Now, of course, Mark Allen's been on this great run. It's been interrupted, obviously, by Christmas and the New Year, which can't be helped. The thing I always think about purple patches is, how long can they last? Because at some point, it's going to kind of, not come crashing down, but there's maybe a more fallow period. That's just the natural way things work. Hawkins, of course, has twice been runner-up, including last year. He lost to Neil Robertson quite heavily, not as heavily, as he lost to, to Ronnie O'Sullivan in 2016, but uh, didn't quite find the form in the final that got him there. But, of course, he'd had some great wins along the way. He beat Selby, he beat, uh, he beat Murphy, he beat Joe Trump along the way last year. So, I mean, they're proper wins, aren't they? As you would expect in the Masters. Um... Mark Allen, interestingly, has not won a match in the Masters since he won the title in 2018. He's lost first round the next four years. Three of them in deciders to Bricell, Higgins and Trump and one was uh, 6-1 to Dave Gilbert. So, that's quite unusual, really. Of course, he had a fine win over Kyron Wilson, 10-7, 2018. Not won a match there since. I do, however, (laughs) and this will be, I'm sure, really good news to Mark, I do, however, favour him to come through. I like his attitude right now. His attitude is, I'm doing well, but I want to do better I want to keep improving. I want to win everything. And that's, you know, a great attitude. And, and he's, you know, having a terrific season. Three finals. I was just in the semi-fire in the Scottish Open. Sorry, the English Open before Christmas. You know, so he's kept up the momentum. And, um, I think he's going to be very dangerous in this tournament. And uh, I do favour him. N- nothing against Barry Hawkins, but I do favour him there to come through. Last match in the top half, Judd Trump against Ryan Day. Uh, is Trump in a slump? Um... It's not only rhymes, it maybe just is a question about his form at the moment. I think you'd have to say he is just because he's not winning tournaments and we're used to him winning tournaments. That's the problem when you're successful. The minute you dip, and this is what I'm saying about Alan's form, the minute you dip, people people notice and they have noticed. His last title was in March, the Turkish Masters. He's been in the world final since, the Champion of Champions final since, but he needs to start winning tournaments again. And this one... You know, he's one that people will notice. So if if Judge Trump were to come through and win the Masters, then suddenly it feels that all's right with the world again. If he were to lose in the first round to Ryan Day, then people would start to say, well, what's happened to him? So it's a big match. Never mind the tournament for a minute. That match is a big one, I think, for Trump, just to sort of re-establish himself a little bit. 4-2 it is to him on the overall head table with Ryan Day. That's filtering out league matches, just the sort of main events. Uh, they did play in the Champion of Champions twenty twenty one. Trump won 6-0, although of course at that point he was I mean he won that tournament, but he was sort of, you know, winning regularly, which not quite happened since. Uh Ryan Day, of course, has come back to form very impressively um, this season winning the British Open. Um, it has to be said since then maybe not quite um, so impressive. Uh He's uh, not played in the Masters for a few years, and he's it, going to have to sort of readjust to the really big occasion, you know, the, the one table, the big crowd, which Trump has been more used to in recent years than he has. Uh, his last appearance in the Masters, 2019, so it's been four years, it's been in three quarter-finals. I think you would have to favour Trump here for all the kind of reasons I've, I've outlined there. Um, and as I say, if he can get a run going in the Masters, I mean, he was semi-finalist last year, but if he can win it, obviously then it's crisis. What crisis, isn't it? It, it? It's all put to bed. If he loses first round, though, then that is a pretty horrific way to start the year. So it's a big match, that one. If he can beat Ryan Day, he may just relax a little bit, although he might have to play Mark Allen in the quarterfinals. But uh, the top half of the draws, I see it, Murphy v Bingham and Allen v Trump. <laughs> okay. Get your money on. Now, the bottom half, Mark Selby, is Zing Tong, uh, Selby of course back in form isn't he after winning the English Open terrific way to end 2022 it was the Masters last year when it all poured out about how he was feeling and how he needed to find help and, and, and all the rest of it and, and you know that's why that English Open win was so special because the, the year was ended on a high when it had started on a real low Mark Selby um, has got a great record in the Masters but it's been a while since he's threatened to win it it's actually now nine years since he was in the final because he he started uh, his campaign at the Masters. He reached the final four years. What was it? Five years, sorry. I'll, I'll rephrase that and, and get it right this time. He reached the final five times from his first seven appearances. He won on his debut 2008. He won 2010. He won 2013. He's runner-up 2009, 2014. But since then, not only has not been to the final, he's not been to the semi-final. So he's not been to the semi-final of the Masters for nine years, which seems surprising for a player... He's been so successful in other events, the World Championship in particular. Xiao Zing Tong made his debut last year, lost 6 2 to John Higgins. I do wonder what his sort of mindset is like at the moment. He's pulled out of the Championship League, I believe, this week. He was due to play Group 4. He's not in that. He's not um, been suspended by in, in terms of this inquiry into the Chinese players, but a lot of his friends have been. And it must be very awkward, very difficult. Kind of just being around all of that. Um, his form in general hasn't been great in the last year since really, since he won the German Masters. Um, so I don't really see the case for Zhao Zing Tong. Of course he can, you know, he could turn it on out of nowhere. I, I, I wouldn't rule that out completely. But I just think Selby coming back into form, winning a tournament, and just the sense I think that, you know, it's about time he did something in the Masters again. I would fancy Mark Selby there. Um, and indeed he is my tip. Uh, The winner of that... Now, this is, I think, could be a terrific match because it's got the sort of mix of experience and youth. John Higgins, Jack Nazowski, they played at the Crucible last year and uh, Higgins won 13-12 in the quarter-finals. John Higgins is not the man in form of the two. He's having a poor season by his standards. He's not going to be in the World Grand Prix, um, the first player series event, which means... He's going to have to pull up trees to get in the other two, certainly the players' championship and the tour championship, and and he always seems to qualify for those tournaments, so it's going to be odd not having him in there. The Masters has been a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde event for Higgins. First thing to say is no-one's played it more than he has, 29 appearances including this year. So John Higgins, very much uh, you know, the, the experienced man at the Masters. But within that, he's lost 13 first rounds. So 28 previous appearances, he's lost 13 first rounds, the record... Is uh, Dennis Taylor, fourteen. That's in the that's in the Masters almanac. Higgins is twice a winner. Nineteen ninety nine, two thousand six, he won arguably the best ever final against Ronnie O'Sullivan. Ten nine made that great. Sixty four clearance to win on the black. Last match at the Wembley Conference Centre. He was runner up ninety five, two thousand and five, and again, of course, twenty twenty one in lockdown to Bing Tao. Lost ten eight last year. Lost six five in the quarters to Mark Williams. That extraordinary match. The atmosphere, the standing ovation they got before the decider, all fantastic. So it's been a mixed bag for Higgins and um, he's playing someone this year in Jack Lazowski who just seems to be well, probably the best sort of place he's ever been really in terms of himself. I know he didn't kill off that UK Championship semi-final which he probably should have done arguably but in general he's winning a lot of matches. He's looking confident and that's important in this event because there's no hiding place here. Jack at times I and mean, he's only played here three times before he lost all three matches certainly in the last, first couple of times he played, he didn't look at all at ease. He almost looked like he shouldn't have been there. I don't think that's the case now. I think he he absolutely understands that he's had every right to be there. And, well, (laughs) I'm not sure this is good news or not, but I'm going to tip Jack Lazowski to beat John Higgins. Yes, I am. So, Jack Lazowski, I'm giving the nod to in this one. I just think, you know, we've been here before with him, I know, and we've made predictions and it hasn't quite come off, but I I could see him I'm not gonna say win the tournament necessarily, but I could see him going deep in this event. 5 2 to Higgins on the head to head, including two crucible matches, but Wazowski's coming in with the better form of the two. He won group one of the Championship League before Christmas, as if to underline that. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for him. We've got two more matches. Mark Williams plays Dave Gilbert as I say Gilbert called up um, at the last minute to uh, replace well not the last minute, but called up to replace Shambing Tao, who's suspended. Williams, yeah, 25 years since he won the Masters uh, for the first time, 98, that's the one everyone remembers, less so 2003, he was actually the last event sponsored by Benson Hedges, and he beat Stephen Hendry, and that was in his dominant spell, because that season he'd already won the UK Championship, and he went on to win the World Championship, so he was far and away the world number one then, he was the best player in the world at that time, and he underlined it winning the Masters, uh, Gilbert, well as I say, he's been in a, in a, in a sort of bad place, I think, mentally. He's, he's been struggling with things, clearly. I do hope that this does, just the, the fact he's, he got in this event, I hope it turns things around for him, because you don't want to see anyone struggling. Um and as I say, he's been, he's played in it twice, he's got to two semis. One was in lockdown, but the first year wasn't, it was at the Ali Pali, uh, 2020. Um I was a member of these two, they played in the World Open final, and, uh, Mark, one in the decider, Dave was 9-5 up, had chances to win, Mark beating 10-9. Williams made that wonderful maximum, um, last month at the English Open against Neil Robertson in, uh, well, it, the year sort of ended as it began, those two playing magnificent match. Should have been in the final last year, somehow lost that semi after Robertson needed two snookers. Should have been in the final, wasn't, but he took it on the chin as you'd expect. I'm favouring Williams there, I think Mark Williams will win that match. I just think there's a lot to be said for experience, and uh, speaking of which, our last match features the record holder at the Masters, Ronnie O'Sullivan, seven titles, and he's up against Luca Brassell, who's returning for the first time in a few years. They haven't played many times, these two, just uh, just three, actually. It's 2-1 to O'Sullivan overall. Uh, Brussel's win came in the uh, 2017 China Championship. But uh, in terms of Ronnie's record there, well, he... he he made his debut at the age of 18. Dennis Taylor beat him in 94, 5 in the wildcard round. Ronnie had won the uh, the qualifying event that he used to have. But then a year later, he became the youngest winner. In 19, beat John Higgins, uh, another 19-year-old, 9-3 in the final. Of course, if he won it this year, he'd become the oldest champion. Stuart Bingham holds that record from two years ago. He won it, well, actually three years ago now, wasn't it? He won it uh, at the age of 43. 43. Uh, O'Sullivan's most recent win is six years ago now, 2017. Uh, last year, lost to Neil Robertson. You look at the players beating him since 2017: Mark Allen, Judd Trump in the final, John Higgins, Neil Robertson. So you know, I suppose it's inevitable in the Masters, really. But these are you know proper players to lose to. Um, he's made 80 centuries in the Masters. O'Sullivan, the closest to him is Stephen Hendry on 46. So you know, it's nearly double number two. So he's done a lot of heavy scoring in the Masters. All this is in Matt Tresco's excellent Masters almanac, of course. Um, so, you know, sort of logic really points to him. Broussel, though, is on a good run, of course. He was in the English Open final. He won the, uh, the Championship League at the start of the season. He's had a very consistent year. He was unlucky not to get in the Masters last year. He got in the top 16 for winning the Scottish Open, but the cut-off had come the previous week at the UK Championship. So he's been a bit of a long wait to get back into the Masters. Last played 2019. He's only played twice before. He beat Mark Allen six five, lost six five to Ding Junhui uh, last time he played four years ago. Um, and of course, that uh, victory over O'Sullivan in that uh, twenty seventeen China Championship that was on the way to winning the tournament. I have to say though, I, I just find it very difficult to go against Ronnie O'Sullivan. I know it's quite a boring sort of choice in a way, but <laughs> he is world champion. He's world number one. He's the the all time record holder there. You'd have to be brave, I think, to go against him. Not not to say that Luca can't beat him. He can. But I just feel you've got to go for Ronnie. So, my choices then for the quarterfinals: Sean Murphy against Stuart Bingham. Mark Allen against Chuck Trump. Mark Selby against Chat Lazowski, Mark Williams against Ronnie O'Sullivan. I'm sure the question everyone's asking now is who's going to win it. <laughs> well, I don't know. But I'm going to make a wild prediction. And this could either be the prediction of the year or egg on face immediately. Because it involves the first match. I'm going to go for Sean Murphy. I think Sean Murphy... It's just been showing signs, good signs, of coming back into form, and I think he, you know, he definitely got the chops to win there because he won it before. We know that, twenty fifteen, um, and you just feel it's, a, it's about time he, he came through and won something. Last year, I know he was in quite a bit of pain; he had obviously health issues, um, but I just get the feeling. Hopefully, health will be all good. I just get the feeling he's going to win something soon. And why not this? He's he definitely got the self-confidence at that at that tournament to stand up to it. Likes the crowds. Likes all the interaction. We saw that at the Crucible two years ago. Um, so, Sean Murphy is my tip. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what what the odds are. In fact, I'm going to check that. Now, put, people will be saying, why don't you do this before you came on? What are we supposed to do while you're looking it up? Well, talk amongst yourselves. Let's have a look at this. Where are we? All sports... Other podcasts would edit this out, but, you know, I I, I like to be real. So here we go, the Masters. I haven't looked this up before, and what is he for the winner of the Masters? Ronnie O'Sullivan seems to be the favourite. Uh, Ronnie's just about the favourite. Sean Murphy, I'm seeing here, 33-1. to So 33-1. to I'm not advising people to put money on, but he's clearly regarded as a kind of outsider based on those odds. But uh, not least because he's playing Robertson round one, I suppose. And listen, Neil Robertson... (laughs) <laughs> could wipe the floor with them. We don't know. But um, certainly if Murphy wins that, those odds are going to tumble. And people will be saying, oh, I wish I got on when it was 33 to 1. So I'm going to end... Um, oh, by the way, enjoy the Masters, everybody. It's a great tournament and um, you know, a great way to, to launch the year. And it's on BBC, Eurosport, Matchroom Live and various other platforms. Uh, I know that uh, we hear correspondence from around the world. People... It's not always as straightforward to find the action as, as is kind of said by by Will Snooker, but hopefully, wherever you're listening to this, you can find it, and you will enjoy it. I'm going to end the podcast, it's the first of the year, by making some wild predictions, and, and also some hopes as well, uh, for the year ahead. It used to be a thing, Old Moor's Almanac, Old Moore's Almanac, this is more like, Old Boar's Almanac, uh, if you will. <laughs> I'm the Old Boar in this. Um, but, uh, my, my predictions, I'm going to make, just make three, predictions off the top of my head, um, and fast forward to the end of the year, you, people will be sat, Either laughing down their sleeves saying, what do you know? Or they'll be saying, oh, listen, he he, was, he had his finger on the pulse. So these I'm going to make three predictions, things that will happen this year. Number one, OK? Settle back. Number one, there will be a professional event announced in the United States of America. The first ever. That's number one. Number two, John Virgo and Dennis Taylor will continue to commentate for the BBC past the World Championship. OK? And number three on a similar theme, the BBC will sign up a fourth tournament. I'm not counting the Welsh Open. I'm talking about network television. They will sign up a fourth tournament. Now, th- all three may not happen. All three may happen. There may be a mixture. Some may. Some some may not. fact is no one's going to remember this in December. <laughs> so who cares? But they're my predictions. Uh, feel free to send me yours, com. What do you think is going to happen this year, on or off table? I'm not going to sort of... I mean, I've done the Masters because we've got the draw. I'm not going to say it's going to be world champion because we need to wait to see the draw there. We don't even know the full field of players who's in it. So I'm not going to make wild predictions about, you know, who's going to be UK champion in November or anything like that. But there are a few off-table predictions. My hopes for the year, well, I think, like everybody, we, we weren't more of the same. I mean, I think we were treated last year to some thrilling snooker. Um, i like a few more closer finals. We seem to have gone away from that. <laughs> no one's fault, but uh, that's often how you remember a tournament, the final. It would be great if we saw a decider at the Masters, for example. Um, but the players, there's such strength in depth now. The players are capable amongst themselves of producing great tournaments um, and memorable moments and maximums and thrilling finishes and controversy too, which we also need. Um, we don't just rely on one or two players. There's a, there's a lot of guys, I mean, look at Gary Wilson, the way he came through at the Scottish Open or, or someone like Fang Zheng, he out of nowhere at the European Masters last season. The narrative in any tournament really, you know, it, it, it's not about just one or two star names. It's about who comes good any given week. And I think that pattern will, will continue. it would be interesting to see, though, if one of the top players can start to sort of approach domination a bit more. And the way you do that is by obviously winning lots of tournaments, but certainly by winning the big titles. If the same player won the Masters and the World, for example, that would be that would be something, I guess. Um so we want new tournaments, more tournaments. Back in China would be obviously the the, the perfect way to for that to happen. Um, but the main thing that I hope for this year, and I hope for it without any real faith that it will happen, is a, just a bit more positivity in general from everyone in the sport. I think negativity has crept into snooker in, in a way that I think underscores the age we live in, which is very much. Um, the age of the self and our opinions and our view on on things. For example, okay, the Championship League is on this week. Now, if you don't like the Championship League, that's perfectly fine. Don't watch it. You don't have to have a go at it. It doesn't mean it shouldn't exist because you don't personally like it. Same as the shootout. It's fine not to like the shootout. Don't watch it. Do something else with those four days. Lots of people do like it. The fact that you don't doesn't mean that it should be scrapped, okay? because lots of other people do like it. If a new tournament's announced... Try and find the positives in it. Don't just slag off the format or the venue or the set or, you know, the sponsor. Find something good to say about it. We have people who... Here's the problem as I see it, okay? So much of the sort of opinions about snooker we only see through social media. And social media is its own... Thing it's its own platform and it has a particular user base that is not actually representative of anything other than the platform. Um, it's not actually representative of what people think. There've been torments with loads of viewers on TV um, and then thirty people slagging it off on Twitter. That's th- those thirty people only represent themselves. They so don't represent the wider views of snooker fans. But the danger is that we res- the way we receive uh, the views of snooker fans we only get them through that because if you go to a tournament it's completely different you meet so many people loving it and have great things to say about snooker and it'd be nice to see more of that filter through to some of these platforms Uh, which it does to an extent but there's too much of a rush to say for example you turn on oh you know there's not enough people there or there's too many people there or it's the wrong sort of people or they're making too much noise or they're not making enough noise why not just (laughs) shut up and watch the snooker allow the people there to enjoy it you enjoy it because, you know, time is running through our fingers. It's running through our fingers like sand. And, you know, we, we need to spend a bit more time smelling the roses. That, that includes the players. Too many players have a laundry list of complaints about the sport. My advice to them, certainly the top players anyway, the successful players, is look around that big house you live in. That's because of snooker, Okay. The game actually has done you well over the years and it's your job to represent it well also and to say positive things. It doesn't mean everything, you gotta pretend everything's great. Of course there's things to criticise, but that shouldn't be the instinct every time something happens in the snooker world to look for negatives because it's so tiresome apart from anything else. It's a great sport. It's a weird sport. It's a weird game. They're knocking balls around a table into holes, but out of that, We've got all these incredible memories, incredible experiences, and let's enjoy them. Let's enjoy them in 2023 because there'll be much to enjoy. Now, of course, in about a week's time, I'll be, I'll be no doubt slagging something off because something's annoyed me. But at the moment, as, we, as the year starts, it's all about positivity. And I go back to what I was saying about Stuart Bingham, actually. He, he represents that. You know, the, the way that he pulled himself out of that sort of funk he was in at the Championship League by saying, right, you've got a choice, you can either be negative or you can be positive. And he chose to be positive and he won the group. And I just feel that in this year, there'll be challenges, of course. There'll be maybe some negative headlines coming up. We'll see about that. But overall, it's a great sport. And I'm personally um, still really delighted to be part of it. And uh, this podcast hopefully will reflect uh, the views of snooker fans. And we get so many great emails here. And then 90% of them are all very positive about snooker. So I'll continue to read them out. And as I say, if I don't get any, I'll be reading out the spam. Do feel free to uh, ask for my bank details in exchange for $57 million. <laughs> Rather ragged end. Uh, but that's it. So the Masters is coming up. Um, Happy New Year again. You can email us at mail.com Thanks again to Matt Tresco for the almanac. Do check that out. And we continue. We continue into 2023. Um, only 51 weeks to the end of the year.